John chapter 12, starting with verse, verse 20. Now, some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Guys, I have this kind of odd disease called networking. I network all the time. Even when I tell myself I'm not going to network, I end up networking with people. And, and Beth tells me, you know all these people. And you tell me all these stories about all these people. I can't keep up with who they are or where you met them. And so thank God for that opportunity. Uh, but one of the ways it started was one of the first business books I ever read was by a guy named Harvey Mackey, who, who talked about networking. And one of the things... Harvey Mackey did was he brought the 1991 Super Bowl, I think, to Minneapolis, which was a very difficult task at that time because nobody wants to go to Minneapolis the first week of February. That's just not the time to go. And he talked about using uh, your network to solve problems, and so he did. When they said it was impossible to go to a northern city for the Super Bowl, he just kept working politicians, business people to get the job done. And he really believed in the power of the Rolodex. I know half the people in this room don't know what a Rolodex is. This is the evolution of the Rolodex. Uh, The Rolodex actually used to roll, but that became inconvenient. And so now this is a smaller version of it. And I had one of these. And so probably late high school, early college, I got one of these Rolodexes and I thought, I'm going to be like Harvey Mackey. I'm going to I'm going to categorize people I meet and their phone numbers, and someday it's going to help me solve a really big problem. And this Rolodex was precious to me. I I, I took it with me to different places that I moved to start my career, and I loved the Rolodex. Loved it so much. But there, there came something called the information revolution in which everything was digital, digital now. And even though I had this computer I carried around, you know, the phone, I still loved my Rolodex because I had invested so much in it. I had categorized these names and put numbers and invested so much. And so even though the, the logical thing was to look on your phone, why look on your phone when you have invested a decade in your Rolodex? Guys, I'm a late adopter to this kind of stuff. The other thing that I really love, I really love the desk calendar. You know, the big, big desk calendar, it fits perfectly on your desk and it has big white boxes and you can take your pen and write appointments and it's all right there like right there and here's what's great on the last day of the month it's just such a satisfying thing you rip the month away and you crumble the month and you put it in the waste basket and there's fresh boxes waiting for you (laughs) to this day I still love the calendar desk I, I, I love these things and it's hard for me to let them go I love paper calendars. 
uh, digital books came around and I said, I'll never use a digital book because I like physical books. I love Barnes and Noble. I love going there and the smell of books, the feel of books. But now I read most of the time, probably 60% of the time I read on digital books now. And I know this is that even though I prefer a physical book and there are good reasons why we need to continue to use physical books. Uh, My reading ability capacity has increased so much because I read, you know, 50% of the time people are late to lunch meetings. Man, that's reading time right there in your phone. Indian Lake Boulevard, it's gridlock now. Who would have thought that would have happened? You just get out the phone and you read, right? So there's some good things that are happening. But because I'm late to technology, there's this concept coming out, the self-driving car, A couple of years ago, I started reading about the self-driving car, and I I did a Facebook post, and I said, I will never, I will never, self-driving cars will never work, and I will never participate. They can't take away my freedom and all of this. And I had to go find that post and delete it recently because I've been doing a lot of reading on self-driving cars, and guys, it's coming. It, it is coming. You see this picture shows sensors that are able to sense uh, where other objects are, and it's going to save a lot of lives. It's going to be a lot safer. My friend Aaron Eccles, we talked about this, and he helped me realize that really we're already there with the cruise control for several decades, and so it's just taking the cruise control one step further as drivers will be able to access when we want to. But it will create all kinds of opportunities. Uh, Some of you may not own a car in the future because you can share a self-driving car with others. You may be able to put in the computer that you want a car to pick you up, to take you to your downtown hospital appointment, and then it'll take you back, a self-driving car. This stuff is coming whether we like it or not, right? So we're... I'm kind of a late adapter to this kind of stuff, but what a blessing technology can be. It has been. It's the laptop. I said, I will never have a laptop. That's what I said. Laptops are stupid. You do your your computer at work and you go home and forget it. Now I take a laptop all around this building. Sometimes I go out in the lobby. Sometimes I come in here. Sometimes I'm in my office. Sometimes I hide in places in this building and you don't know where I'm at, but I'm, I'm answering an email because of the laptop, right? Good things come from technology, but I'm a late adapter. And here's the deal. Our Lent theme today is the concept of lay down and lift it up. And here's the truth. We have to lay some things down to take up something better. I'm so glad that all of you, almost all of you that I know personally, your contact information is with me all the time in my phone. And it goes up to the cloud. And then it is dispensed to other devices, And that is better than the Rolodex. But guys, I had to lay down my love of the Rolodex to take up these new technological opportunities. And as we we start thinking about our relationship with God in in this Lent season, there's a concept of the Old Covenant, which was the Old Testament, and the New Covenant that we're living in now in the New Testament. And you can't have a New Covenant without the Old Covenant. And so the Old Covenant is important, but the New Covenant is an important part of our faith and part of what, as we prepare for Easter and all Jesus did on the cross and what Jesus did through his resurrection, we have to realize the transference between the Old Covenant to the New Covenant that Jeremiah prophesied. If you're taking notes, write this first uh, contradiction down. We're going to lay down the Old Covenant to lift up the New Covenant. Lay down the old covenant to lift up the new covenant. Jeremiah prophesied about this. In Jeremiah chapter 31, starting with verse 31, 
And, and in case you never picked this up during CIL Forward 102, is that Bible verses and chapters didn't come around till seven or eight, seven or eight hundred years ago. So, you know, Jeremiah didn't say 31, now it's 32, now it's 33. We just use this as a way to organize, to organize and to find certain passages. So here we are in verse 31. Here is a prophecy about Jesus. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The one, th- th- this one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. A covenant they broke even though I had married them. The Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration, for I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sin. What a hopeful scripture. The idea that God's plan for the world and his heart for the world is so big that he moved from the old covenant to the new covenant that we enjoy now. The old covenant had value. It led us to what we know today. But the gospel, well, before the gospel, the story of God was contained to one family, Abraham's family, to one nation, the Jewish nation, to one people group, to one ethnic group. And Jesus, because he loved the whole world, he's the fulfillment of Jeremiah chapter 33 here. He is the fulfillment, excuse me, chapter 31. Jesus is the fulfillment, the one who says that because I love the world, he came and what he did in his 33 years on this earth, his death and resurrection, he was thinking about people in Sumner County, Tennessee in the year 2018. This is the new covenant that we're benefiting from and we're living in the middle of this right now. Guys, we are people who are living in the miracle. We're living in the miraculous. We have a God who's revealed his story to us, has chosen us, has sent his grace to us. And here we are, we're just ticked off at God because we're going to have a tough three days until the next paycheck. And we forget that he has sent his blessing and his glory and he has sent his providence to us to lead us to salvation. The old way was a way of legalism. It was a way of exclusivism. It was a way of sectarianism. The new way has been replaced by grace, inclusion, and a gospel that's for the entire nations. I am so glad I serve a God who loves the whole world because if God did not love the whole world, then I would be lost without him as a Gentile. This is, this is a blessing, and this gives us great hope for the future. Some of us are wrongly living with an escapism mindset of like, I just want to get out of here. I just want to get to heaven. I just want to get out of this world. And we forget that God is creating the conditions and the environment of this world because he wants more people to know him, more people to choose him, more people to acknowledge who Jesus is. We have a chance to see in our lifetime the last 
end time revival where we see the greatest move of God, more salvations, more of the power of God, stronger anointing in the Lord. We begin to see things that have never been seen in all of history. God is just not telling us to put in our time until we disappear. God is telling us to partner with him in redeeming the world and seeing his glory and truth and seeing his power manifested in our culture and in the friendships that we make. This is why this is a hopeful scripture. The new covenant is not just for you, it's for the people that are in your life. And it's for, the new covenant is for our community. It's for our high schools that are in desperate need of a move of God. It's it's for uh, the commerce and the businesses that need to glorify God. It's for the next generation. That's what the new covenant covenant is. Let me take a breath so I can preach some more. Amen? (laughs) Early in the Civil War, the, the Union general was a man named George McClellan. And he was very, very popular. He was well-educated. He had a great reputation. Some people thought that uh, he would be president someday because of his, of his charisma and, and what people thought of him. He loved to prepare. He prepared. He trained. He drilled. And, and he was well-respected. There was only one problem with George McClellan. He didn't fight. He loved to prepare to fight, but he always had an excuse not to engage in the fight. He was too calculating. He did not engage the enemy. He was not aggressive. He forgot that the objective was not a well-trained army. It was an army that actually won battles. And President Abraham Lincoln would order him to attack, to be aggressive, to engage the enemy. And McClellan would always delay, would always have excuses, would always have avoidance. President Lincoln eventually removed him, and he put in command more uh, aggressive and compliant generals, and that was one of the things that turned the Civil War towards the Union. I thought about that because some of us, we, we, can, we can use McClellan as a metaphor to think about us as well-trained Christians who live in the southeastern part of the United States, where we have access to more of the gospel. We have Christian radio stations. We have uh, lots and lots of churches. It's hard to be somewhere in Sumner County uh, that, where there's a, a, an actually established road without seeing a church physically. We have Christian restaurants. I mean, you go to these restaurants and more than half the time you're hearing Christian music, which is a blessing, but I would like a little bit of variety of Christian music. I get kind of tired of hearing the same songs all the time. But yeah, okay, that wasn't in the notes. So let me get back focused. But you, you understand what I'm saying is we have VBS hoppers, you know, people who like send their kids to five VBSs in a row because it's just that's what we do here in the South. And on and on and on. And I'm not, I'm not belittling our culture. I've benefited from our culture. I've chosen to raise my family here in Hendersonville and Gallatin. I, wouldn't, I would not want to raise my family in any other place. But with that, we can fool ourselves to be these well-trained Christians that are not listening to our leader. In fact, we can be well-respected. We can be well-thought-of. We can have a reputation as a man or woman of God, but if we're not listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, the the instructions of the Scripture, and engaging in the issues of our day, then we're really not 
being everything God wants us to be. And this is one of the great challenges that I have. Because I'm going to tell you, I have a really safe and comfortable life. Let me not preach at you. Let me preach about myself. My life is safe. My life is comfortable. Uh, uh, you guys seem to like me. I mean, you'll, you'll show up on Sundays. That's great. And, and you guys are really nice to me. You take good care of me. And so, so the question is here. The question is here. It, it, where's my passion level for the things of God? All right. Am I engaged in the causes that are really going to matter? Are, are we just becoming just kind of numb in suburbia, just, just living this comfortable life. And guys, I, I'm not here, I, I don't think that we need to like create in ourselves like self-punishment so that, that we can't have joy in the Lord. We're going to talk about joy later on. But, but I'm talking about apathy, where we're really avoiding engagement with the Lord and living off the reputation. Here's my, my, my point here. Lay down the avoidance and lift up the obedience. Lay down the avoidance. And what I mean by avoidance here is avoiding the direction of God. Avoiding the challenge that comes from God. Avoiding the engaged life. Avoiding the life that's on fire for the Holy Spirit. Being a lukewarm Christian. These are things that when we avoid the presence of God, then we're not impacted by God. It's very easy to be religious and not have an encounter with God. But when you have an encounter with the living God, you cannot help but be changed. And that's why the psalmist, in this case it was David, who had egregiously sinned against the Lord. He had committed adultery and he had taken it an extra step. His lust led to adultery and then his adultery led to murder. And, and I'm sure we would all we would all disqualify or we would just you know, put aside David, but the Lord did not do that. There were definitely consequences for his decision. But we see that David was a man after God's heart. And what I want you to see in Psalm 51, it's probably a scripture you've heard before, but I want you to notice when I read it to you, the sense of personal responsibility. David takes personal responsibility for his sin. He doesn't defer. He doesn't excuse. He, he doesn't uh, blame social conditions. He doesn't put it off on somebody else. He takes responsibility. Psalm 51, starting with verse 1. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Cleanse me from my sin, for I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Look at that responsibility he takes. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. I love this part of verse 4. So you are right. This is the heart of repentance. We, we often don't want to agree with God. We want to say, God, I'm right. This is my justification. This is my perspective, God. This is the conditions that led me to this choice, Lord. Uh, this is my personality deficiency, Lord. This is my family trait. And excuse, excuse, excuse. You hear the heart of a man who's turned to the Lord and he says, you are right, God. God, if you've called this wrong, if you've said this is not good for me and it's not good for society, therefore it's a sin, I agree with what you said, God. You are right. When you pass sentence, you are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. 
Let me pause there and talk to you about something known as original sin. It's a doctrine that we believe. It's a doctrine that, that all Christians, all times, all places have believed. But it's a very difficult doctrine for us to accept in our culture. Because we have been educated by the force of humanism. And humanism says that man is inherently good. The part of that truth is this, is that mankind is made in God's image. So we are different than the other animals. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, as we read earlier in Psalm 139. Human beings are special. We are more unique than the, the rest of the, the animals that are categorized because we're made in the image of God with a capacity to love. But we are not inherently good. And if you don't believe that, go volunteer for the nursery. <laughs> There's nothing more beautiful than an innocent child and, and a curious toddler, two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old. But like me when I was two and three and like you, we have a sinful nature. That's why we need a savior. This, this belief of original sin, it's all through Scripture. And it's what God's people have believed in all times and all places. And we see now through this Scripture that David realized this when he said, Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in my inner self. And you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Again, it's the personal responsibility there. Um, let me hear joy and gladness. I want you to remember that because we're going to end with an emphasis on joy. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face from my sins. Blot out all my sins. God, create a clean heart for me. Renew a steadfast spirit with me, within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. Now, I love that psalm, and I know many of you do too because that's my story. You know, when we take personal responsibility, we realize that only God can cleanse us of our sins. And I love the end of verse 12. It says, restore the joy of my salvation and give me a willing spirit. We need a willing spirit because sometimes we know something is wrong and it's not our best, but we still enjoy doing it. Give me a willing spirit to be clean. Guys, sin is enjoyable. It feels good to take revenge out on that person because they deserve it instead of trusting God to bring vengeance. It probably feels good when you feel like you have not been properly compensated so you skim a little bit and, and embezzle from your company. It feels good. It feels worthy. It feels, just, it feels at the time justified. And so I could go on and give you many more descriptions but you know this, is that sin feels good. And that's why we have to say, create in me a clean heart and give me a willing spirit. God, make me willing because I want to be clean. I just, I'm just not really willing right now. God, I, I turn to you. And we have to turn to God to turn our volition and our will back to him. Jesus dealt with this. Jesus, who is perfectly God and perfectly man, will nurture on that truth the rest of our lives and still Still try to digest it. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 through 9, we learn about him. During his earthly life, he, being Jesus, offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Let me say one thing there is that though God uses silence, and silence is an important part of my faith formation, silence doesn't mean reverence. Reverence is an attitude of the heart. You can have loud cries and tears like Jesus did, 
and God hears you out of reverence, which is the position of your heart, not the volume of your voice. Verse 8, though he was God's son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And after he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Here's the last thing I want to, to share with you, which is the culmination of this message. In this contradiction, we lay down sin, so lift up the joy. The joy that comes when our, our, our soul is restored back to God. Sin is a word that culture doesn't like today, at least the culture that we live in. We don't like the word sin. We, we prefer the word mental illness. And I want to say that, say something. Those of you who work in the mental health professional world, I admire you and we need your work. Um, it is, there is nothing wrong with taking medication to help regulate your chemicals in, in, your, in your brain or in your body. So I, I, I honor those who work with, in the mental health profession. I also want to say this, is some of the greatest people I have ever known have battled mental illness. We know this historically. There's so many of the great saints of God who dealt with some form of mental illness or, or even depression. The prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, battled with depression. I just read this week, if memory serves me correctly, Hudson Taylor, who started the modern mission movements in the middle 1800s, and he went to inland China, suffered from depression. My point is this, is that God uses those who, who battle with forms of mental illness. We all battle depression, so don't let that word weigh too much on you. So every single one of us battles with depression at some degree or the other, anxiety at one degree or the other. But, but some of the finest people in history and some of the finest people I've ever known have suffered with some degree of mental illness. And so now there's no category for our, our culture who does not accept that there is sin they cannot say that it is evil or sin, some of the atrocities that, uh, that have, have happened in our society. And it, it, is, it is sin taking advantage of mental illness in some people. Is there sin in the world? Let me point you to the country of Syria. Because this last week was the seven-year anniversary of the start of the war in Syria. We don't know exactly how many people have perished in that war, but a, a median count would be 300,000 people. There's probably more. 300,000 people who have breathed air on this planet have died since 2011 because of the selfishness of men. Starting with the president of Syria, who oppressed his own citizens and attack them when they simply tried to express their opinion. And then you have Russia and Vladimir Putin who has been propping up his government. And then you have Iran who has also been funneling weapons and, and to, to this, this evil regime. And there's many, many complications. And you tell me there's not sin in this world. 20 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, the story of Syria will be known. It's happened in our time. And don't tell me that there's not sin in this world and we don't need Jesus to redeem hearts. What can we do about Syria? I, I don't know what we can do, but I do know this, is I know that every time we choose to lay down our sin and pick up joy, we make the world a greater place because the dominion and the rule of Jesus is more present. 
I believe this is that we as believers in the Lord, as we are pursuing lives of holiness. I'm not talking about observing rules. I'm talking about a friendship with the presence of God. And we're saying no to evil. We're saying yes to the things of God. It lifts up the spirit of this world and how we live our lives in Gallatin and in Nashville and Hendersonville makes a difference in Syria and Iran and in other parts of Africa and the world. I believe that because the things that happen as we observe the presence of the Lord, observe religion, as we practice a presence of the Lord. The Lord is building his kingdom through us and we have no idea what the ripples will be and how it can affect the world. The the dots will all be connected someday. Yes, there is sin in the world. May war end in Syria. May there be joy in Syria and let Syria come to know Jesus again. These are matters that we should care about and we should pray about. We shouldn't just live mindlessly. When we lay down sin selfishness is the basis for sin. Do you know that selfishness is the basis for sexual sin? And I want you to think about that. When you begin to think about the sexual sin that every person deals with to some degree or the other, that the root of that is selfishness. We want to gratify ourselves, And so what we do is we, we continue the, the, the the cycles of oppression that happen through pornography. And, you know, pornography is not about looking at nudity. If we begin to see that pornography is about supporting the oppression of sex slaves, supporting those who are in Eastern Europe and those who are in Asia who are being taken advantage of. And our participation in that is part of of that dark mark on the world. And the Lord will help us all with that. We lay down. We lay down the selfishness that causes us to want to control other people. The selfishness that wants political power to to, uh, oppress and take advantage of other nations and other groups. This is what Jesus says in John 12, 24. He says, I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. The one who loves his life will lose it. The one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is what Jesus is calling us to do. And he's calling, I'm calling you to do, I'm echoing the voice of Jesus, though he's the one with the moral authority here. Jesus is calling us to die. He's calling us to die to our selfishness. He's calling us to die to our our life that, that, that we live that gives no care for the condition of fellow man. The, the, the life that causes us to, to live unconcerned and unengaged and unaware. Some of you are living life unaware because you know this is that if you become aware of the problems in your community and aware of the problems in the world, then there's responsibility. So what we do is we create these superficial lives and we spend our lives watching goofy stuff, downloading goofy stuff and, and living superficial lives. I'm about laughter. I'm about fun. And all that has its place. I mean, we just talked about restored joy unto us. But guys, we can't live our life blinded. We can't live our life unconcerned. We we are people that God has established in the year 2018 as we move into the decades of the 2020s. Y'all ready for that? Maybe I'm the first one to say that. God has a great plan in the 2020s to redeem the world, to make his name famous in the 
the world, to cause darkness to retreat, to cause more of the wholeness and the goodness of the Lord to rise up. And he's not going to do it through a hero. He's going to do it through normal, ordinary people like you and me. He's going to do it through our faith, our prayers, our commitment, our sacrificial life. Guys, there's a great cause ahead of you. You are not just taking up oxygen on this earth. You've been called and destined by God, and he's placed the years in front of you with purpose and ability, and Satan wants to steal those. He wants to kill your potential. He wants to steal the dream that you have. Satan wants to destroy your, your very physical body through sin, but Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give it more abundantly. We have no idea what God has in store for us. If we would simply die to ourselves, then we find that whatever dies is resurrected with new life. That's what the story of the resurrection is. Jesus has a great plan for us. He does. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. Yeah, let's thank the Lord. Come on, thank the Lord. The Lord loves you. And I, I don't say this to bring any credit to myself, but I just want you to know what the Lord's doing. The things I've said in this service are much different than the things I said in the first service. I'm telling you this because the Lord loves you. The Lord, the Lord is delivering his words to you. Same point, same scriptures, same illustrations. I will say that. But, but when we begin to spirit, begin to speak, he begin to speak to you specifically. So don't, don't, don't lie and say, well, this message was for a couple hundred people here today. No, if the Holy Spirit's making that point, that phrase, that word, he's making it known to you. This is God speaking to you today. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to you today. Today, the Holy Spirit had purpose in this service. The Holy Spirit saw what was happening here. The Holy Spirit appointed you to be here this day because he's stirring up the gift of God within you. He's stirring up the presence of God within you. I want to invite our prayer partners to the front and so we can, we want to be here to pray with those of you that God's stirring in a specific way. In these last few minutes we have left together, uh, we are going to respond to the Lord. Beth is going to lead us in worship. And we have communion available right here to your left. Bobby's getting this prepared here. You can, you can come down this aisle and return to the outside or to the inside. Also in the back, the same, the same situation there. We, we, can, we can come to the front or the back, come down this aisle, return to the side, to the middle. I'll be down here to offer intention, which is taking the bread and dipping it in the cup. And just as a real practical thing, just, just, just don't, we, we have to kind of work together on this. We're learning how to do this. So take a generous portion, maybe towards the middle of that because the edges get a little harder. I know I'm just being real practical, but, but, uh, but it will help us because when we come down, we want to, we want to focus on the Lord. And, and I don't want you to feel the, the anxiety of the mechanics of it because the presence of the Lord is in the sacraments presence of the Lord is here and he's sealing his word in you. He's sealing, he's marking you. He's beginning to say, okay, this is, this is, this is my word. These are the scriptures. This is my revelation. But now I'm sending my spirit here and what the Lord has done to us. I didn't expect the Lord to do this is the Lord is moving us to, he, he moved us to a, a cause today cause today. Now, if you begin to think about your personal life, a lot of times we want stuff for us personally, but sometimes that exasperates the, or not exasperates, it, it um, emphasizes more uh, the, the selfishness within us because we're always preoccupied with our need and the Lord says, come on, there's others, there's others and there's a cause, there's a cause, there's a big story here and, and that's what you're called to, you're called to be a part of that. Father, we come to this time right now, we commit this time, uh, the table of the Lord to you. We commit the table of the Lord to you, Lord. We also pray that as, as the, the, the church ministers to one another, your glory and presence would be here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our prayer.